Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Catechesis. In this lesson, we will be considering question 17 of the Baptist Catechism, which asks, what is sin? And the answer is brief, but it is very important. Sin is any want or lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Stated a little bit differently, we sin when we fail to do what God commands or when we do that which God forbids in his law. To sin is to miss the mark that God has set for us in his law, therefore. Let us begin by focusing our attention on this phrase, the law of God. Sin is any want or lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It is important to recognize that sin presupposes the existence of a law. To sin is to violate God's law, therefore God's law must have been revealed before sin entered the world. And this is what Romans 4.15 and 5.13 teach. Romans 4.15 says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And Romans 5.13 says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Paul's argument here seems to be that in order for there to be sin, there must first be law, for sin is a violation of God's law. Paul then noted that sin and death was most certainly in the world before the law of Moses was revealed, indicating that God's law was already present, but in another form. As we will see in just a moment, God's law was given to man prior to the Ten Commandments being revealed to Moses. In fact, God's moral law was written on man's heart at creation, according to Paul. Add to this the positive command that was given to Adam to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we see that our catechism is correct. Sin, all sin, even Adam's first sin, is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. This is also what John teaches. In 1 John 3, 4, we read, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And so John defines sin as a violation of God's law. I hope that you are beginning to see that if we are to have a clear understanding of what sin is, we must first know what God requires and forbids in his law. Many, I'm afraid, take matters into their own hands when deciding what sin is. But this is not our right. Instead, we must submit to God to know what is right and to know what is wrong. And so let us learn to speak carefully concerning God's law. I think the following categories are very helpful. First of all, we must distinguish between natural laws and positive laws. The natural law is that law which was written on man's heart by his creator. Paul speaks of this in Romans 2, 14 through 16, saying, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Paul is here teaching that although the Gentiles may not have access to the law of Moses, they show that they have the law 
the natural or moral law, written on their hearts when they do what the law requires. Men and women the world over consider lying, stealing, and murder to be wrong, though they do not have access to the law of Moses, which says, Thou shalt not bear false witness, etc. When we speak of positive laws, we are speaking of those laws which God has added that were not written on man's heart at creation. These positive laws are often associated with covenants. Adam was commanded not to eat of a particular tree. This he would not have known was forbidden had God not said, do not eat of this tree. This law was a positive law in that it was added to the natural and moral law which was written on Adam's heart as an image bearer of God. The law of circumcision revealed to Abraham falls under this category. Baptism, too. And so we have natural laws, laws that are moral and universally known to one degree or another, because they were written on man's heart at creation, and positive laws, laws that God has added pertaining to activities that are not inherently moral. Ordinarily, it is not sinful to eat fruit from a tree, but it was sinful for Adam to eat fruit from a particular tree after God added the prohibition. And so we call these laws positive laws, being added by God to the moral law and natural law. Next, let us understand the difference between moral, civil, and ceremonial laws that are found in Scripture. It is not as if these laws are divided up as such in Scripture, nor do the Scriptures apply this terminology to them. In fact, sometimes there is a mixture within a given law. The civil laws which governed Israel, for example, had God's moral law as their foundation. Nevertheless, These categories are helpful for understanding the complexity of laws that are found within the scriptures. First of all, let us talk about moral law. The moral law was first written upon Adam's heart at creation, as we have already said. It came from God. It corresponds to God's righteousness. Paul makes reference to this in Romans 2, 14 through 16, which we have already read. Our confession also teaches about the moral law, saying, God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart, and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by which he bound him and all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience, promised life upon the fulfilling, and threatened death upon the breach of it, and endued him with power and ability to keep it. And so notice that Lenin Baptist Confession 19.1 makes mention of the moral law that was written on Adam's heart, and also the positive law that we discussed a moment ago. Our confession calls the positive law delivered to Adam a particular precept. This moral law, which was written upon Adam's heart, is also contained within the Ten Commandments in summary form. Listen to our confession in 19.2. The same law that was first written in the heart of man continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness after the fall, and was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in Ten Commandments and written in two tables, the first four containing our duty towards God and the other six our duty to man. Notice that I have said that the moral law is contained within the Ten Commandments. There are, in fact, some things in the Ten Commandments that were unique to Israel and the Old Covenant. For one, the seventh-day Sabbath. But consider the Ten Commandments. In general, they teach that God is to be worshipped above all, not with images, that his name is to be honored, and that a proportion of time is to be devoted to rest and worship. The first table has to do with proper worship of God. The second table has to do with proper conduct towards one another. 
Honor father and mother, no murder, adultery, stealing, bearing false witness, or covetousness. And notice that these laws are, to one degree or another, universally recognized, for they were written on man's heart at creation, though they were certainly clouded and distorted within us by our fall into sin. The moral law is contained within the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, we will also find civil laws, which were given to govern the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant. Listen again to our confession in 19.4. To them also he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution, their general equity only being of moral use. And so here our confession is noting that to the Hebrew people living under the old Mosaic covenant, God gave sundry or a diversity of judicial laws, that these laws have expired together with the state of that people now that the new covenant has come, and that we are not obliged to obey these laws any longer, but these laws are still of a general uh, usefulness to us, given the moral principles which undergird them. An example of such a civil law would be Deuteronomy 25.4, which says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. That was a law applied to Israel as a nation. And I choose this one uh, to illustrate the principle here that though this was a civil law given to the nation of Israel, it is still useful for us today. For in 1 Corinthians 9.8-10, Paul uses this law to argue that ministers of the gospel should be supported monetarily. It seems like such a strange application of this civil law given so long ago to Israel. How can he do this? Well, he can do it because this civil law has a moral principle at its core, which is still useful to us. The principle is this, those who work should be compensated. Lastly, let us talk about ceremonial laws. These were laws given to Israel to govern their worship under the Old Covenant, and these also have been taken away, though we might still learn from them. In 19.3, our confession says, Besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of Reformation, not referring to the Protestant Reformation, but to the arrival of Christ, are by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only lawgiver, who was furnished with power from the Father for that end, abrogated and taken away. So as I have said, we can see Christ in these ceremonial laws. We can learn about holiness in worship and reverence, In fact, we can learn about many things as we consider these old covenant ceremonial laws, but the laws themselves no longer apply to us, for we live under the new covenant and not the old. The Christ has come who has fulfilled what these laws signified. Um, this, This is not difficult to see, really. We do not worship at the temple any longer. We do not offer up animal sacrifices. We need not approach God through Levitical priests, etc., etc., Uh, These are things that are indeed found within the law of God, but we do not violate God's law when we worship not at the temple. We recognize that something has changed with the arrival of the Christ. He has fulfilled these laws, and they have thus passed away. Though we may see Christ prefigured in them, 
though we might learn to approach God with reverence and holiness, uh, we are not bound to keep these ceremonial laws, which belonged uniquely to the Mosaic economy. And so we may distinguish between moral law and positive law. It is helpful also, I think, to recognize that in the scriptures there are laws that are moral, civil, and ceremonial. What is sin? Stated simply, sin is any want or lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Brothers and sisters, God's law is good and of great use to us, provided that we use it properly. No, we cannot earn salvation through the keeping of God's law, for we have all violated it in thought, word, and deed. But God's law still functions as a light to our path. It shows us how we are to live in this world, to the glory of God. And certainly it shows us our need for Christ, for as we consider God's law, we realize that we have broken it, but that Christ has kept it for us. And in him, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Until next time, abide in Christ.